Listeners, start your engines. episode 47 rob here on this episode youtuber jeremiah stewart from let's talk joins us to discuss 1970s beneath the planet of the apes where do you go beyond the iconic twist ending of the original 1968 film we'll get all into it here as we continue our planet of the apes mega series as always you can find more episodes of this show on apple Podcasts, spotify good pods and other podcatchers as well as crookedtable.com Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 1970s Beneath the Planet of the Apes. They are marked for target practice. James Franciscus as astronaut Brent on a reckless mission to rescue Taylor. Trapped by the swaggering, brutal master race of apes who dominate the Earth. A planet shattered by the atomic war of a distant, forgotten past. Where are you going? Into the Forbidden Zone. Someone or something has outwitted the intelligence of the gorillas. In vain! Face the terrifying dangers of the Forbidden Zone with them. Engulfing you in the shattering experiences that await beneath the planet of the apes. Well, there's an intelligence working in this place. They know we're here. We are determined to know what the apes want. War or peace? The superintelligent mutants. Are they human or something else? In their church, an unspeakable god. Doomsday bomb. Behind their faces, an unbearable secret. We don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other. The irresistible war machine of the guerrilla army versus the devastating secret mind weapons of the subterranean mutants. In civilization's final battle to answer the ultimate question, can a planet long endure half human and half ape? Is it the beginning or the end? Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. This episode, we are digging deep beneath the planet of the apes, and I am honored to welcome to the show, Jeremiah Stewart. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, and it's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about Willow on uh, on my other show, on Close Watch. Did you, just to follow up on that conversation, did you actually get a chance to watch the Disney Plus series? And what is your what are your thoughts on their potential for that being uh you know not getting a second season uh i did watch the series um i liked the series we did a whole episode on on my other show we uh it it played like an 80s fantasy series which means 80s fantasy was fast and loose with lore and just kind of did what it did and i liked it that way it was very nice to have a show that was just played loosey-goosey with things which you know, after watching like House of the Dragon, where it's you know very tight knit and everything, it's nice to have to sit back and like, oh look, they're playing Enter Sandman, um, wonderful. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, 
fun and breezy. Like, yeah. I'm kind of annoyed they aren't yeah. doing a second season, although it doesn't seem like the door is completely shut. It just looks right. like they're not doing it now because Disney's doing a whole uh, save money thing. Um, right. And so they might bring it back later, but it'll certainly be more expensive if they bring it back later. But they released it from their contract because they're not doing it now. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look like it's necessarily shut. It's just not now. Right. There's a million different ways to continue that to continue that that universe too. Like you could do another series, you could do another film, you can do uh, animation, you can do like there's all kinds of stuff they could do with that world. It's it's cool that that uh, Lucasfilm and I guess Disney is acknowledging that that's part of the <laughs> that's part of the brand, that's part of what they own as that studio instead of just Star Wars and Indiana Jones and that's about it. Because there's there's a little you know there's a lot of other lesser known properties that uh that they think they you know they, they, they could start mining so yeah. hopefully willow is a sign of that yeah for, for sure and uh i liked it i like it for what it was is yeah. it necessarily deep no but yeah it's fun. It, no, no it doesn't need to be like exactly uh it reminded so me of you legend of the seeker <laughs> you remember that show? Yeah. oh there you go way better than <laughs> i didn't like the books so legend of the seeker like oh you want to go loosey-goosey and weird fan servicey stuff go go ahead let's go see it yeah, absolutely. I mean, at this point, any Lucasfilm project that Disney Plus gets off the ground that isn't like a 700th Star Wars show uh, is, I think, welcome. It's like mix it up a little bit. They're leaning too heavily on a couple of very notable brands. I, I think. think they're going to be leaning very heavily on Star Wars for a while until Disney gets I think back so. really black. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so you mentioned your other show. So tell people about who you are and what you have going on other than uh, other than coming on to my shows every once in a while. Okay, so um, I've been a podcaster since 2011, and now I do most of my stuff on YouTube. Um, you can find us at um, Let's Talk Entertainment, or Let's Talk, as it's shown on there. We have shows about streaming, um, Spoop, which is you know watching terrible horror movies. We've been doing a series about watching every movie, The Asylum. That one hurts so much. <laughs> um, uh you know, we, we talk about movies, we talk about streaming, we talk about um, DC, Marvel, a bit, a bit of everything. Lots of book reviews. One of my co-hosts, he re- he's been reviewing like every like uh, Ray Bradbury and Clive Barker store. Um, nice. Just kind of a little bit of everything on there. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we put out stuff nearly every day or every other day. Yeah, that's that's cool. I love the the dedication to consistency. That's something that I've definitely struggled with. What well, helps there's like three of us who do things. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, it just means true. like across across all three of us will have stuff in. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So obviously a lot of lot of geek properties in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Obviously, we're just talking about Willow. So what is your history with Planet of the Apes as a franchise that started in 1968 and uh, you know, the, the most recent film was in 2017. We sort of start, sort of mentioned right before the call, there was a live action show. There was an animated show there. They've tried all kinds of stuff. They tried the reboot and then they, they tried it again, like a decade later, we have another one coming out under, under the, the Disney regime, uh, next year. So what was your formal introduction to planet of the apes? So as a kid, uh, my dad watched Charlton Heston movies. So I watched the original at home uh, growing up as a child. Um, didn't really make much an impact on me. It's when you're a kid, that's a kind of a slow movie. It, it just mm-hmm. is. Um, and things have looked better since. And then honestly, the second one I watched was the Tim Burton one on TV um, sometime after it came out. I think it was at my brother's wedding or something. Um, saw it on TV 
And uh, I preferred that one to the original, but I think it's just it wasn't the original and I could uh, nudge my dad. It was more modern. And honestly, uh, the practical effects hold up on that one very well, like the makeup and costume. Like that bit holds up just fine. Um, still as Charlton Heston. Uh, terrible though. Yeah, terrible, weirdly. Terrible that movie. Um, <laughs> uh, and then when I was in college, I would go to the our local library, which had a lot of movies, and I'd just be like, I'm bored. I'm going to watch franchises. And so yeah. that's how I watched like every Star Trek movie. And then I went to Planet of the Apes um, and watched that franchise. I did see Rise of the Planet of the Apes in theater. That's the only one I've seen in theaters, but it wasn't necessarily my choice. It was like, you know, I got married, had kids. It's really hard to see movies in theaters when you have kids, really young this kids. True. And you're in college and stuff like that. Um, I, so I've seen them all. I've seen uh, parts of the TV show, not the animated show. And um, yeah, uh, I've seen them all. And then, um, you know, in recent years, I found out my father-in-law loves Beneath Planet of the Apes. Talks about it all the time. Really, I don't understand why, but uh, sure. <laughs> uh, but he he loves it. He it's his favorite one, which is weird because he hated movies in the seventies because of how nihilistic it was. And he outright says Star Wars saved the world from the seventies and gave us happiness again. Yet mm-hmm. this movie is very, very of that time. It, yeah. Um, the, I, I'm thinking specifically of the ending of that the was ending. supposed to be in this movie. <laughs> the ending that was written for this movie is not the ending we got in this movie. And what? Yeah. Wow. What? What's the ending that was written for this movie? Because I don't even know if I've heard about. Um, happy. It was a happy ending where um, basically everyone goes off into the sunset. They they survive the war and the the friendly apes and so on uh, and. Charlton Heston and Nova go off into the sunset. And then it skips to 50 years later and they develop a society where apes and humans live together. Hmm. Okay. I like this ending better in a way. <laughs> I like this ending in a better, better in a way, uh, because of how pun intended ape shit it is. Like I well, love they made that. It Cause they intended it to be the yeah. final apes movie. Right. I mean, that's pretty clear. <laughs> um, and uh, Fox but, decided they had other plans clearly. Yeah. Yeah, so so this one obviously we're talking about Beneath the Planet of the Apes from 1970, uh, directed by Ted Post, who did Hang 'Em High and Magnum Force and Chuck Norris's uh, Good Guys Wear Black and all of that good stuff. Uh, budget of two and a half million, made 19 at the box office, so still a pretty big hit for them, which is hence uh, Escape and Conquest and Battle. But yeah, it's it's pretty clear out the gate that this was going to be the conclusion. Uh, I guess we'll start with the ending since we sort of already said that. <laughs> so we return to the planet of the apes and uh, there's a, a whole adventure that happens, but ultimately it ends with the entire planet getting blown up by Charlton Heston. So what are your thoughts on that ending and the voiceover that literally says in one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium sized star and one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet is now dead. The end roll credits. Um, Honestly, the first time I watched it, I got to the credits and then went, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Did I skip? Is this not the second movie? And I got really confused because yeah. I had to go to the library and look like, no, that one says three. That one says four. Did they label these wrong? Um, little did I know what even crazier stuff they decided to do to continue the franchise. <laughs> uh, um, but, oh, that ending is nihilistic. Uh, it, I, yeah. it was memorable, though. Like It's never left me. 
But, right. Oh, oh man. Um, I will say this a little. I was doing background stuff about this movie today. I was watching bonus features and interviews. So the director they picked, they picked him because he was known for getting movies done on time or be ahead of schedule on a limited budget. Mm-hmm. He always delivered on whatever budget he was given. Nice. So that's why they went with him. They had a, a they, you know, they knew they were making this movie as soon as the first one was a hit because the first one literally saved 20th Century Fox, prevented it from going under. And so they knew they were making this one because they had really nothing else going for quite a few years, actually. Um, and so the, the couple of things they said is they, they wanted Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston did this movie as long as they could do his part in eight days and he donated all his money to charity. Mm-hmm. Um, so his part... If surprise this is very limited, as if you haven't noticed, um, they br- I brought back everyone but the actor who was Cornelius because he was busy Roddy somewhere McDowell. else. Um, but they did bring him back, of course, for everything else. And I think they re- they said they reused shots from him in Planet of the Apes for this movie. Um, but they had a hard time writing this one. They had a bunch of ideas, which uh, ultimately most of them got thrown into here. They just condensed it a bit. You know, the main idea they wanted is what happens when you go past the barrier you know passed into the mm-hmm. the restricted lands um but you know like psychic mutant humans worshiping the atomic bomb that one time they were going to have an ape human hybrid and then they realized this is the 70s we should not promote look like we're promoting bestiality in this um <clears throat> so they removed the ape human children we just um, got we got that kiss at the end of the previous film that's as far as they go yeah, they, they wanted to be careful um, with that one. Yeah. And since the first one didn't have the ending of the book, uh, they had to go somewhere because the ending, honestly, the ending of the book would have led to a far more interesting sequel, but they've never done that. In fact, I don't, I never know why they've never done that. And the only time they ever did that ending, even remotely, people were like, what is this? I don't like this twist. That's Tim Burton's one, folks. That's yeah. how the book ends. I don't mind that twist, but I think it, it- yeah, it's mm, it leads yeah, to a I possible it, sequel it, than it, yeah, yeah, it necessitated some kind of follow up that never happened. Like I didn't hate the the Burton movie at the time. Uh, it'll be interesting to rewatch it for this podcast and see what I think of it now. Uh, but at the time, like I thought, Tim Roth's performance was pretty strong, and well, Tim Mark Roth Carter and some very, of the Tim Roth's performance holds up very well. Yeah, I would assume so. Uh, obviously, the makeup his worst performance ever. <laughs> He's just like uh, whatever. I don't. I'm just phoning but, it in. Can I get this out of here movie, now? Okay, uh, I admit the first time I saw this movie, they they have another actor in there. I forgot his name right this second. Who came in on a second ship to try to find Charlton Heston ship and also crashes because that's what happens. Yep. But that actor, they got a TV actor. He looks so much like Charlton Heston for a while. You're like, I'm, wait. Yeah, yeah. This this is the this is one of my biggest issues with this movie. Well, obviously, Heston had his requests, like you know, I need, I want to get killed off eight days, whatever. I think he even donated his salary to charity or whatever. He's yeah, like, yeah, I he wants to, don't he normally. Wanted to, he wanted to end the franchise. He's like, I normally don't do sequels. I'll make exception if you do these things for me. And then they're like, sure, whatever. Uh, we want that sequel. Everybody loved the the first movie. Uh, and I understand that that's the limitations they're working with it. However, what makes this, what, what causes this movie harm, I think, is casting an actor that looks, James Franciscus, who, as Brent, who looks so much like Heston. He was cast because he looked so much like Heston, like you're saying. But it's not remarked upon. 
really that that there's a resemblance. I mean, I think there's a couple of moments. There's a moment or two where they're like Taylor, and they're like, "Wait a minute, you're not Taylor." Um, but it makes it just it makes him him feel like a kind of dollar store version of Charlton Heston instead of that has Nova. Yeah, right. And he's with Nova, and, and he's you know in, interacting with all the exact same characters. He's from the same programs, presumably sent after Taylor. So. I, I I don't know if in in where they're from everyone just looks the same or what the deal is, but it makes it does that character a disservice because he never gets to stand on his own. What they should have done is they should have cast someone who looks very different from Heston and actually let him be his own, let him do his own thing instead of having Brent come in here as like second rate uh, Taylor. I think that that hurts the movie for a while. You're just waiting for Heston to kind of show up and take over. Um, and I know, like, when I saw this, when the cover says, you know, this is an action movie, I'm like, this isn't still really an action movie. It's not the action. <laughs> not really. Like, even at the time, when I think of action movies at the time, I think of, like, Magnificent Seven. That's right. an action movie. This is mutant psychic humans that freaked me out, honestly, when they take <laughs> out their little mask things. I'm like, oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reminded me of it, the imagery uh, in Star Trek and, like, the original episode of, where the lady gets put together wrong. I'm like, ew, uh-huh. ew. <laughs> It made me think, and I had seen this movie before, uh, before watching it for this podcast, but like only once before, like a few years ago. So I had remembered the ending, uh, but I forgotten that they take the faces off to reveal what they look like underneath. So I, I was kind of shocked by that all over again. It felt to me like that scene in the witches where they do kind of a similar thing. Very much, very much like that. Uh, but it's the exact sort of wild idea that, that makes me respect this movie so much is that they have the apes, they have the humans. And then all of a sudden, like you said, there's we go beyond the forbidden zone. Taylor disappears. There's all these, there's an earthquake that we later find out is, are these illusions that the mutants are sort of sending out to keep people away? Um, it's just, there's a, a whole bunch of like crazy ideas. Some of which don't really feel like a natural progression from their previous movie. Um, but they, you know, they go for it and I, I, you know, I, I, you know, got to respect the hustle, I guess. Well, like I can, you know, I, I referenced the original movie a lot cause you know, I work in public education and sometimes with the way yeah. kids are rowdy in hallways, I always joke around saying, why don't we dress up as apes one time with nets and just ride around the hallways catching kids that were running around, <laughs> uh, you know, that clearly a reference to the original, this one yeah, yeah. is like, honestly, the biggest things, if you just think about it, that you take away from this one is the end. You blink and suddenly Charlton Heston is someone else. Yeah. <laughs> um, and mutant humans worshiping an atomic bomb. Like that's pretty much what you remember from this movie because mm-hmm. most of it does like the eight parts don't really make as big an impact, even though they still have the characters there, but they don't have as much of an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Heston and like the problem with Nova is Nova doesn't talk. I believe Nova right. talked in the book. I want to say Nova talked in the book. I know she comes yeah, back no- in the spaceship with him. Nova's just in this one and in the first one, she's kind of a non-character in a lot of ways, which she's just eye candy. Like what? Other yeah. It, which, have in this movie? Exactly. Exactly. It's, which is, I was going to say, which is not a great look uh, for like female representation in these movies. Like, thank God we have zero who's such a badass uh, yeah. in, in these first three movies, particularly the next one where she gets lot lots to do uh, with, with Cornelius in the, in the present day human world. Uh, but Yes. <laughs> yeah, spoilers. Um, no, so I there there is 
You're you're right. It's the it's the fake Taylor and the mutants that that is the part of this movie that really makes an impact. Um, we still have Maurice Evans back as Dr. Zayas, but he kind of basically has nothing to do. Uh, James General Gregory Ursus is, is General Ursus. Yeah, yeah, but but we don't get very much of that developing. I think the interesting part of that is that we see a little bit of the ape society continuing to fracture, where the gorillas are like you know imposing their will on the rest of the apes. And, uh, and I think that kind of thing is interesting, but we don't really get enough of it. It feels sort of underdeveloped with everything else that, that's going on beneath the planet. Yeah. So it's like Ursus wants to conquer forbidden zone for food, which might, yeah, what food it's, I don't think there's food out there. <laughs> Sand. Um, and then I, uh, they go to the forbidden zone is basically the ruins of New York and they travel yeah. under the ground where these humans are still there having survived the atomic blast. And they li- I think they're in St. Patrick's cathedral, supposedly in New York. Um, the whole thing is like they worship a doomsday bomb. Once you see that bomb, the movie just kind of, you know where it's going to go. You just yeah. know it. There is no doubt that they're going to do there. Um, and uh, Taylor just magically is back in a cell Next to Brent. And that makes it more confusing because by that time, they're both pretty shaggy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you're like, which one's the real Taylor? I'm the real Taylor. Nobody <laughs> shoot him. It's like going to be that scenario almost. But then like the ultimate finale is just like apes go into this underground city. They find yeah. their way to this cathedral because they're looking for food somewhere. Mutants, a lot of mutants die. And leader of the telepath, Mendez, is that his name? I think it's Mendez. Something like that, yeah. Uh, I know one of them's called yeah. Fat Man. Like, really, you're, you call the character Fat Man? <laughs> That's um, all they got. Uh, the the uh, Natalie Trendy character is Albina because I guess she's very yeah, pale complexion. Yeah. Um, Taylor gets <laughs> shot and um, yells at Doctor Zayas things. Brent gets sh- gunned down after ki- I think he, ki- he kills Ursus first, right? He kills the general and then gets killed. I believe so. Yeah. That, and that moment where, uh, Brent gets killed, that's actually kind of pretty violent for 1970 for this movie. I thought, yeah, the whole ending of this movie is incredibly violent. Like I didn't expect that's where all, all the action is. You never really expect them all to die. Right. And then Taylor's cursing out Zayas and I just wanted him to start singing like, you know, the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. And then he just hits the bomb and they all go and the bomb goes off and they all die. And then he's like, he's like, it's time it was finished and kind of limbers over to it and presses the button, big white light. And then that narration that I quoted already. And then the whole credits are silent. It's just silent. Yeah. (laughs) Which is weird. I know that's on purpose. Yeah. It's weird. Um, It's very weird. And then you wonder how they can continue a fran- Like this is clearly made to end a franchise, but then they clearly just wanted it to continue. Um, you know, made a lot of money. It did good for them. And they've yeah. made adaptations of this in comics. They've made some books adaptations. I think IDW did some, you know, they had some toys, you know, they merchandised this movie, at least what they, you know, 70 early seventies merchandising was. Yeah. Um, I, I really wonder what, audiences in 1970 thought of this movie like now we can look back with the context of well you know this this one ends like this and then the third one they it's time travel you know then we can kind of see the full picture of those original five films but at the time they're just like wait what like you know like you're saying like it's it's doubles down on the nihilism these are not very positive movies about humanity and where we're heading and in this one heston 
Taylor, the ultimate cynic from the first movie, is just like, ah, forget it. We'll start over at some point. It didn't <laughs> just, just makes the decision for everyone. Um, so yeah, I really wonder if 1970 audiences, do you think they came out like, what a great film, or do you think they were pissed off? I know I saw people, uh, yeah, I, I saw receptions for this. I know this is not one of the best, better reviewed ones. Uh, yeah. I think Escape is the second best, better. The third one, I think, is the second best reviewed one. Yeah, I think that um, sounds right. I know they praised Heston, but I think by this time Heston could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the humor—they, they, they, the humor is not in this movie. There's no humor in this movie, as far as no, I remember. No, not really. Nothing. The first one at least had humor. Heck, Tim Burton's one had humor. This one has none. The the closest thing is, I guess, when uh, they go to Zira and Cornelius's house and he pretends that he had hit her to get, put her in line, kind of thing. And I guess that's supposed to be funny because we know that Cornelius is not at all like that. But at the time, I don't think it was meant to be funny. I think it was meant to be like, yeah, that's how, that's what we all do. That's how and we all clearly, keep our women in line or something. Um, clearly, yeah. the Cold War loomed heavily on this one, you know, by this time. Right. Um, totally. You know, we had just had Cuban Missile Crisis. Things were still tense and very, you know, kept at a high level. So uh, this is not the type of 70s movie I like. This is mm-hmm. nihilistic. Uh, you know, I clearly, I never grew up in this era. I grew up right when the wall was coming down. And so this is not like the world I lived in and not a world I really want to go back to. And so the nihilism and this lack of humor and depth really hurts this movie. It's not even that pretty of a movie too. It's actually, you can also see like it's a step down in look in mm-hmm. you know costumes and makeup they clearly had less money and one thing you'll notice in this entire franchise at least in the original Planet of the apes franchise they clearly use the same costumes as they go on yeah. and and the same masks and the later you get into the franchise especially the tv show the more you can see the eyes and there's like holes in them because they clearly don't fix them <laughs> get stretched out yeah <laughs> they, they but this one you know the makeup's fine but there's nothing really that stands out about it other than the ending that yeah. was a shock ending, but I don't shock endings for shock value don't really do much for me yeah. at all. Cause mm-hmm. it just seemed like they were trying to shock you. It looks like Heston was like, I'm going to be done with this. I'm going to go back to killing vampires. So kaboom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, this is to be honest with you of the original five, this is definitely on the lower end for yeah. me. This one, I, I do think it's fascinating. Like I said, because they thought that they could just, have Heston there and just bring in a second Taylor basically where you, you could imagine a lot of Brent's uh, screen time. Like you could imagine Taylor going back and, and engaging with Cornelius and zero and asking for their help and running off and you know, discovering that subway station and all that. Instead we get Brent basically doing the exact same arc of, wait a minute, did we finally do it? What's going on? Was this earth? No way. That can't be like, we just did this guys. In the previous movie. And I, I think had you had Heston in that role before more than eight days, this would have in immediately been like a, a slightly better movie. I think it would have felt more a continuation instead of part sequel, part kind of redo of the original film. Yeah. And he was doing this movie about the same time he was doing Julius Caesar and just and then he did this just before he did Omega Man and Anthony mm-hmm. Cleopatra. So I think Call of the Wild came out not that long later, too. So, you know, it's clearly, and then Soylent Green. So he was clearly very busy. Right. But I don't necessarily think, I don't think he gave up on his performance. I think he still tried, but he didn't have enough time yeah. to have them give him a good enough part. And I think the film might have been better if they just either had him completely gone 
either recast Taylor or find a way to write him out and keep him out. Cause him coming back at the end, it does not help yeah. the movie. No, not at all. And so I, I, I will say the director did a good job of trying to keep a bunch of ideas coherent because he c- clearly kept the movie together. Right. Um, but you know, he's done, you know, I've seen, I've honestly seen him do a lot of TV. Like I know him from twilight zone. Um, and you know, this franchise has a lot of, you know, they have to thank um, Sterling for a lot of this stuff because um, if I recall right, Sterling wrote drafts in a lot of this. Yeah. Especially, at least the first one to, for sure. Like that, the, um, the first one essentially plays like a, two-hour Twilight Zone episode in a lot of ways anyway. Yes. And so Rod Sterling's ideas are all throughout this one, and I think he did a good enough job of capturing it, but I don't think there was enough money, heart, or like personality in this movie. This movie lacks a lot of personality and just has a lot of nihilism, which yeah. doesn't work. But but I will say this. It doesn't get as bad as this franchise gets. It's not the worst. Not by far. It's probably mm-hmm. in the middle-ish. Um, yeah. It definitely gets a lot worse. They did get a lot of ideas out there, but I think by realizing their limits of what they can do by crossing into the Forbidden Zone, I think they made the right idea for where they did go mm-hmm. um, in a very Star Trek Four kind of way. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, <laughs> and I won't say any of the performances are necessarily bad. You know, I thought um, no Brent honestly he he gave, he was fine. Um, James Franciscus, yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. he was fine and everyone's performances are fine, which is good. Um I just think there was no one there to like give them more umph. They needed they needed more something in this. Yeah. And Escape from the Planet of the Apes, which has a different director, um a different writer too, I believe. Yeah, um I think so. definitely gave it more cuz I believe the director of Escape is the one who did Father of the Bride. I think Tom Sawyer and something like Stalag 17. I believe that's him. So he has more style in what he does. He's not a director for hire who just gets things done. While Post is one who was a director for hire who gets things done, who's known for television and doing things quickly, which right. is what it is. Yeah. But but it could have been worse. Could have been way worse. But am I no, going to watch this I mean, one willingly? No, <laughs> no it, it doesn't. It doesn't have much replay value, I think, is, is what it is, what we're saying. Uh, it's They had a lot of restrictions on this film. And I think with the tiny box that they had to play in, I think they they made something that is decent enough follow-up to the from the first one. And I guess, you know, it could have been the ending of this franchise, but like, as we're saying much much better that they they continued on at least to the next one because i think we both agree that escape is a marked market improvement on this but i i do like <laughs> yes. certain elements we get zeus and ursa in the in a sauna i think that's supposed to be one of those like random like look apes are just like us kind of thing so i think there's like certain moments and decisions that i'm just that just find uh, i find fascinating uh the it, how it literalizes the worship of the bomb I think is really is really kind of uh, an interesting commentary as as you were saying like at everything that was going on in the world, especially at this time they have the the church of the atomic bomb they're like they're they're the way that they um, that they're looking up to it and and saying like things like the good bomb made us all things like that I thought was really 
was really interesting. Um, the the mind control that they have, I thought, was kind of a fun sci-fi idea. Not fun, but like an intri- Nothing's about this movie's fun. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, sort of an it was, intriguing it was interesting. sci-fi idea. Yeah, because then you have the the moments where like Brent at- uh, attacks Nova, which is a pretty intense sequence. Uh, and and Brent and Taylor, like we were saying earlier, sort of fighting each other. So I, I like them kind of turning the humans against each other. I thought that was pretty, uh, that was pretty interesting. And um, the fact that we get like, even in this movie, they, how they leave breadcrumbs, like they weren't going to make a third one, but there are breadcrumbs in this movie that the next one picks up on. There's again, a mention of Hasseline who's mentioned in the first movie and he's the villain of the third film. And uh, we, we find out in this one that Zira and Cornelius are pregnant that zero is pregnant with Cornelius's child which becomes yep. the entire plot of the next movie yep. uh so there's like I, I love the way that it, it even in this scenario there there was like something for them to work with uh going forward yeah they, so they I, I don't think they purposely put those there I think that Mm-mm. it was just part of the story and the Absolutely. next writer was good enough to pick up on them right which it, you know it, it's fine it's good um but man, honestly, out of all of them, if you watch the first one, you're probably best to stick stick to the first one. Mm-hmm. But this movie is honestly, I'd skip to the third. You get enough information what you need yeah. because this, this movie just up. doesn't make you <laughs> feel on. very good. It just makes you no. feel icky, right. and that is not what I want in yeah. in my movies. And uh, I know it's I'm not I'm not from the seventies. I uh, it's uh it's i'm not going to totally relate to that anyway but it's just it just makes me feel gross but i will say this it is interesting enough that i've never forgotten it and um that is a plus because there's a lot of movies i've watched that you know you kind of forget immediately yeah i i this is this is definitely not like how where you want to end your evening if you're gonna watch the planet of the apes films either watch one and then skip to three or like you know, back to back this and escape maybe or something, uh, because I escape has a twist ending that I think is hopeful enough, at least it, depending how you look at it, I guess it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the, the sort of seesaw of the, these movies narratively that, you, you know, your allegiance is, you would think would be with the humans, but then in a lot of these films, you're more on the ape side because the humans are treating them like crap. And so you're, it, it's sort of the, the game that these movies play with, well, which, which side uh, uh, are you on in this ongoing war between humanity and apes? Like who's right? Who's wrong? Are they the same? And these are the questions that I think they ask. And this movie, you get hints of that, but it, like you said, it's really more about the mutants. And I think throwing in a third party in this way, it, it just kind of, the balance is all off. And it basically says, and what's the answer they give? Uh, they basically say at the end, they're all bad. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all suck. Like, let's, why, why bother? Hit the button. It's all, yeah, the planet is now dead. All bad. So, yeah. Okay. What, what was the point of watching this? <laughs> What's the message here? Yeah. <laughs> now, I do know there's a message about the bomb and people worshiping the atomic bomb right. and, you know, feeling very attached to that. Yes. That does not work now. And I, I have a feeling that when Disney does their work, they're never going to go in this direction. Of course not. No, no. I don't think so either. Unless uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up and he's starting the Terminator theme in the night, then they might. Come with me if you want to live. 
Zero and Cornelius get in the spaceship. Yeah. Um, that, w- that would be wild. That would be a that would wild, be wild twist. Not I'd be happen, down for that. But it would be wild. No, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, beneath, beneath is rough. Beneath is rough. Right. But I think it helped them break free of the mold um, and get to someplace really good. Yeah. No, I think so too. Uh, and without it, we wouldn't have any apes movies now. And I will say the three most recent ones are some, not just some of the best apes movies ever, but some of the best movies that have come out like popcorn movies for quite a while. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I think in most of these episodes and, and most of the people I've talked to about this franchise, those three movies are, I think almost uniformly in like the top five of this franchise, like all three of them, including rise. Yeah, I, uh, I would definitely put all three of them above the original, mostly because the, the original hasn't aged the best. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's but, true. But um, uh, they, yeah, without that, without this movie, you would not have any others at all. And you know, you would have the single book, which is a classic. But I think they, even the whole reason we remember the book is because of this, uh, because of the series. So uh, it, it did a lot, and it kept the it kept it all going. And now there's a lot of people who know Planet of the Apes. There's a lot of people who know it. If people want a recommendation, never watch the series or the animated show. It's just don't don't do it. Well, I mean, I have a I have a sort of I have an inkling that they just at a certain point there was really no vision behind this franchise, uh, and they were just. What else can we milk out of this thing? Uh, I think you could see after, not to get too much into the next few films because I have episodes on those, obviously, but I feel like after Conquest, like that was your cutoff point. Like battle didn't need to happen. The shows didn't need to happen. Like Conquest brings these, it, it feels like a complete four film circular arc that didn't really need anything else at that point. And so, yeah, I wonder how yeah. the legacy of these movies would have been if it would have taken like 30 years for them to try and reboot it the first time if they hadn't like basically sent the whole franchise into a, the toilet after with the last film. Well, and, the, the TV the series is like a few, hundreds of years before the crash and hundreds right. of years after battle. It remi- honestly, if you want a good example, it reminded me a lot of that um, show when I was a kid. I think it was done by Henson Company, but Dinosaur. Oh, yeah. With the baby. Yep. Not the mama. It's basically, yeah, (laughs) it's, it's, it's like that. Um, Talk about a bleak ending. Oh, oh my goodness. That show has such a bleak ending. They clearly (laughs) are related to Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Um, The animated show is just worth, uh, honestly, um, animated show was made to be opposite Johnny Quest. It's made by the same person who did Johnny Quest. Mm -hmm. But watch Johnny Quest. Don't watch Return (laughs) to the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Even with with Johnny Quest's racism. It's still better. But yeah, uh, that's beneath. It's nihilistic. It is what it is, but it did help keep the franchise alive. It 100%. did help keep it going. It's competent. Uh, even, they, they, even though the ending doesn't seem like it's keeping the franchise alive, it tried everything it could to kill the franchise, and yet it still persisted thanks to the box office. Yep. Um, Pretty much. And Heston did what Heston wanted. But I just found it interesting because this movie, they gave it a budget. Um, it was supposed to be five million. They gave it two point five million because mm-hmm. when you think about here are, the, here are three movies that failed just before this that made us so had to cut the budget. And how many of these movies have you seen or heard of? Star, Hello mm-hmm. Dolly, and Tora Tora Tora. I've I've All heard bomb. of the last two, obviously, but yeah, wow. And Tora 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 is a classic. I love that. Yeah, movie. that's the best Pearl Harbor movie. But it had a budget of twenty five million and made about thirty. 
hmm. which is which is a bomb. I guess you you don't yeah, make definitely. you don't get all the box office. So this no. movie was very important, even keeping 20th Century Fox alive, which is what ultimately gave us Star Wars, and you know now you know Disney owns them. I didn't, so, and I didn't plan it this way, but X Men, uh, which is yeah, one of the true. next franchise we're going to talk about. Um, <laughs> exactly. Now, I was always disappointed they never put that theme in the movies, but well, they didn't know, put it in what, one may- movie. Well, recently, but not like none yeah. of the not the not the uh, the prime X Men movies. <laughs> I have a feeling we'll hear X-Men more theme. of it. John Oddman yeah. X Men theme, I do love. I do love that too, actually. That's People really will good. hear me gush over the, that uh, in future episodes for sure. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Is there anything else about this movie that I, we wanted to mention? I did like uh, the line "Only good human is a dead human." That one obviously sticks out. Yeah. Uh, we talked about sort of the like the the politics of the film and sort of the uh, this is obviously in the vietnam era and all of that stuff um ape shall not kill ape which i think is i don't remember if that's referenced in the first film or not but it's definitely referenced here and it comes up again and again in the movies going forward and then the the bomb which here is called alpha omega which uh is also the name of the military group in war for the planet of the apes so when we get to that that comes well, and with him. this movie, I will I'll bring up. So the original movie had Jerry Goldsmith composed it, legendary composer. Yeah. Um, this one they brought in Leonard Rosenman, 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 who had already mm. done um, had taken Goldsmith's sounds and mixed it with his own when he did stuff like Fantastic Voyage, which right. is a classic as well. Um, I don't think his score worked as well in this one. Honestly, the music just kind of. Honestly, the absence of music in certain scenes resonated more with me than any music in certain scenes. So I think that says a lot. But I do remember yeah. at the end, they take a hymn. Um, I think the hymn, I have it right here. All Things Bright and Beautiful by Cecil Francis Alexander from 1848. And they alter it and make it uh, discordant. And they call it Bomb Almighty. So like the hymn they sing at the, the end of the bomb right. is an actual oh, Christian hymn that they change the change it, change the key and the lyrics to, uh, to do that. I think that was kind of... Um, creative but if you really yeah. want this one honestly get the idw comics um and um honestly there's some there is one that i think you would love idw in 2015 did a series called planet of the apes the primate directive where the crew of the starship enterprise oh wow follow a klingon ship into beneath the planet of the apes <laughs> oh my which gosh. the klingons are trying to use as a way to get around the tr- one of the treaties they have in star trek so both crews of the Enterprise and the Klingon ship become behind-the-scenes characters in the events of this movie. Um, a tricorder with a slingshot effect is left behind and is used by Dr. Milo to allow the spaceship he and Cornelius Zero used to travel back through time. So they travel back in time because of the Starship Enterprise. Nice. That is probably the best thing this movie ever gave us. And actually, <laughs> it's a legit good comic. Um, yeah, read that one. You'll have more fun. The- that that's the fact that there's a comic a comic adapt, adaptation that mashes this with the Star Trek universe. It, it I think highlights to me even more about how different franchise filmmaking was then versus now. Because now th- that would a hundred percent be something someone would be exploring. Uh, yep. Then they Back were just like, like no, eh, we don't don't do it. What was that? <laughs> Back then they'd be like, don't. You no, not, Rosemary, you're not touching this. Right. The closest they got is, you know, some TV crossovers. Green Hornet showed up on Batman and things like that. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, so there, nobody was thinking films as a franchise back then, which I, why, which is part of why it's so interesting to go back for this series of episodes and talk about these movies because 
they so clearly were, you know, playing it like one at a time. Like, okay, we don't have a plan. We just blew up the planet. Uh, maybe they escaped the two ape characters that everybody loves from the first movie. Let's have them be the main characters in the next one, which I think was a great idea uh, because I, they're probably the two best characters in these five films, I would say, at least in the conversation. Yeah, um, yeah I'd say that. Yeah. So, and getting rid of Heston was a good idea. Like, honestly, I think he didn't so want too. To be there. He had his arc in the first movie. Kind of overrated as well as an actor. Yeah, no, I I agree. He's he's definitely let's say limited range. Yes, um and I, I and I agree with you. Like they should have either had Taylor out of this story, have James Franciscus if you're going to hire him cuz he looks so much like Charlton Heston that just have him play Taylor. Uh or just move on completely with a new character like, and have him be like I'm looking for Taylor, never find never finds Taylor. Taylor disappeared or whatever. Yeah, it's a search for Taylor. Exactly. Um, is there anything about the beneath the planet of the apes that we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention before we move on? Um, I don't think so. Honestly, there's, yeah. there's not much more we can say about this one. Um, yeah. It, it has ideas. It but has lots it of ideas. Have time, it doesn't have time to like dwell on them. And this felt like it could have been two movies if they had wrote, written it right. And it would have built up and earned that ending, but it didn't earn the ending. And so that's all I'm going to say about it. It doesn't, it doesn't it earn just, it. It just feels very abrupt. Like I said, oh, I, I I'd seen this movie. Nova's yeah. death did upset me because like Nova didn't deserve that. Yeah. Nova she's in, she's an innocent. Did not observe to be killed by a gorilla. That's true. Nova never Nova. deserves to. Not because she's eye yeah. candy, but because she, literally she, what does she do to she, deserve to be? She, she, yeah. She has, she's literally just a tag along. She's an innocent gets caught in the crossfire of all this. Uh, all this mess. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, the ending is is so abrupt that I had seen this movie, like I said before, and even I was like, I remember the planet blew up, but even I was like, oh, that's it? We're over? Little voiceover and that's it? Done? Okay. Jeez. Yeah, this is it a was, 95 minute movie. It is. It feels even shorter in a way because like you, like we were kind of sort of saying, uh, a lot, like the there's not that much that happens. Brent shows up. Where's Taylor? Oh, we don't know. He maybe went this way. Okay. Who's this girl here? Let's find out. Oh, there's mutants. Oh, we're all dead. The end pretty much is this movie. It's not, it's very, yeah, it's very cut and dry. Um, so that being said, what, what in your opinion is the, the legacy of the planet of the apes franchise? What does it contribute to cinema, et cetera? Well, I think it, what it, it definitely showed that it can be, um, well, it's, it's an important staple in science fiction. This is a universe that people can instantly recognize. The fact that they brought it back in modern times and it still worked um, says a lot about it. Um, usually these movies have quite a bit to say about social issues. I'd say Beneath probably has the least to say. Oh, it has mm-hmm. a lot to say, but it does at least tactfully. Like, it's very like blunt. It just hits you over the head yeah. with it. You worship um, the bomb. Look at these people worshiping a bomb. Isn't that silly? Don't do that. But yeah. these movies have, like Star Trek, um, haven't have endured because of the messages they have versus like the spectacle. And I think that has helped them in the modern ones all continued it. Um, mm-hmm. that's probably where Burton's failed was the social messaging of it was weakest. It had the spectacle, mm-hmm. which the other ones weren't known for. And so I think honestly, when you think of science fiction series that existed before say star Wars, star Trek and planet of the apes, that's about it. Yeah. 
like people don't remember 2001 Space Odyssey, but I, let me tell you folks, uh, modern audiences do not watch 2001 Space Odyssey. Neither do children. In fact, they might take it as a nap. I used to watch that movie to have a nap. By the time the monkey throws the bone, I would be sleeping. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, even Dune, Dune is still struggle to come back. And Dune tries mm-hmm. to have the spectacle and the social commentary. Planet of the Apes, I think, endears because it's a simple concept that they can do a lot with. Yeah. Its simplicity helps. Um, yeah. It's, and I think it's that's a hook. one of the best ones. Yeah. It's a hook that wouldn't, wouldn't feel out of place in like a 1950s B movie, like Planet of the Apes, you know, but it, it builds, it has so much more on its mind than just being like, you know, a, a topsy turvy world. Um, you know, that, that just the, the bald faced sci fi concept, there's a lot of ideas going on here. And like, yeah, like you were saying, this, this even really predates when Star Trek became a film franchise. This, yeah. all five of these movies do. So it's, it, 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 feel, it does feel like the kind of the, in a lot of ways, the progenitor to like franchise filmmaking of everything that would come after, including Star Wars. And, and I think it's, it gets forgotten in that context, which is unfortunate. And before anyone decides to comment, yes, I do know all of those owe Twilight Zone. Oh, thanks to Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone has yeah. literally been the influence for a ton of movies, a ton of shows. And quite literally, Rod Sterling wrote, it's the creator of Planet of the Apes, the film franchise. Um, Yes, Twilight Zone is a sci-fi franchise. (laughs) Yes, it is extremely influential, but it's not the same type of sci-fi as this one is. And yeah, I think it just shows simple ideas can can grow and be used to tell lots of different stories, lots of variety. And like where this franchise goes shows how, how a simple idea is also a very strong idea. And I think Beneath the Planet Apes try to take that simple idea and make it something bigger than it was. And I heard mm-hmm. it, but they regained it right after this one. And I think uh, that helped a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So that being said, do you do you have any kind of sense of what a ranking would be for these, I guess, nine films as much? C- clearly, we, we know the three, the three reboot ones are above the original film. I'm assuming everything else is below those then? Like, what is your... Um, let me look, let me look. So, I'd say Dawn is the best. I 100% agree. Um, I haven't seen War enough to see if I liked it more or less than Rise. So I'll put mm-hmm. Rise and War just together because I, I I haven't seen War enough. It's not one I can just put on with my children and they, they would not want to watch it. Um, right. Honestly, I put the Tim Burton one after those three because I really do like Ross' performance, and there's a like a great villain can do a lot for me. Absolutely. Even yeah, if Marky Mark a- is not very good in that movie, but a great not villain at all. can do a lot. Um, Marky Mark makes you be like, well, maybe Heston is is uh, you know <laughs> is like the thespian of his time uh, in comparison. And then I'd put the original. I'd put Escape. Mm-hmm. I'd put Conquest, and then Beneath, and then Battle. Yeah, I I. Again, I I haven't rewatched the 2001 Burton film in a long time, and I haven't even watched it yet for this uh, this series. But uh, otherwise, I'm pretty in lockstep with you for these original five. Like I do think Escape and Conquest, I think really work together well because uh, yeah. Escape is also like it's the third film, but it's in a way kind of a soft reboot of this franchise too. Um, yeah, because yeah. we're Stop. we're That's back in time. Back to the future. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. That conceit yeah. makes no. far more sense when you know that the Enterprise left it. 
That's true. Because that's far more. That's <laughs> that's one of the the I guess you can say holes of escape. Is that like oh we just changed the spaceship and went but like wait what did you do you just how did you know where to go like what are you even talking about uh, all that's off screen and you just sort of have to roll with the the fact that. Dr. Milo would be able to figure out where to go to hit the wormhole to get out of there or whatever, uh, whatever happened. You just got to sort of shrug and be like, eh, it's fine. They're, they're here now. It is what it is. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. This definitely ranks near the bottom, but it is definitely more, me- you're going to remember this movie more than some of those other yeah. ones. Even the other ones that are better, you are going to remember this one more. A movie that doesn't a hundred percent work, but takes big swings still gets yeah it's, it's still worth in my opinion still worth watching and like like we said to see this franchise progress from where it where it starts to where it goes in two and three and four and five it's like it, it's it's kind of just mind-boggling to see how they keep writing themselves into a corner and then finding a way out of it again um and it, it's kind of it's the kind of, sign of style of franchise filmmaking that I honestly kind of miss a little bit because now everything is like, ooh, this guy's here. He'll be in the sequel or there's a post-credit scene and and all of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not knocking that approach, but there's something to be said with, we put everything in this movie and now we don't know. That's it. And the box office receipts come in and then they're like, okay, well, we need to, was there anything in this previous one that we can expound upon to, uh, to you know, to get another movie out of? And I think it's, it's fun to just watch watch creators do that. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, that's beneath. That is beneath. Well, Jeremiah, this has been a blast. I'm so glad we got you on to Franchise Detours to talk about Beneath. I know uh, we tried to record a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm, as you can hear, I'm doing much better. I still have cough drops a little bit for a lingering cough, which always is the last thing to go away with strep throat. Um, yeah. but, but I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Uh, tell people where they can find you on social media. Um. Honestly, if you just want to, you can just follow us on on YouTube. It's Let's Talk Entertainment. Um, you just if you just go hashtag Let's Talk Entertainment, you'll find us. That's the actual like address. Um, that's where I post most of my stuff, and I'll, you know, leave comments. One of us will respond, and we will uh, talk. And if you want to talk Planet of the Apes, you know, if you leave a message, I'll, I'll get I'll get to you. I'll get to you. Um, there's a lot here, and I'm not going to say I'm a biggest fan of this franchise. <laughs> Never will yeah. be. But I have watched them. Yeah. <laughs> All of them. Yes. And uh, I think just some valid criticisms from, from a lot. And there's a lot of praise to be had. And if this is your favorite one, like my father-in-law, if you hear this, I know this is your favorite one. <laughs> I never understood it. I, but, yeah, I still kind of don't understand it. Like why specific? Maybe the impact that that ending left on him. Just like I've never forgotten that ending. It sure um, could be. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, where it goes from here is definitely more fun. Than this movie Absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't even say the first one is fun really either. The first one's pretty serious minded for the most part, except for like some silly moments, like the apes taking pictures of the human that they just like caught on their, you know, while they were hunting and things like that. Um, the third one has a much lighter vibe until that another spoilers for the next episode, I guess another gut punch of an ending, uh, which is kind of what this franchise does best, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, the first one, if you thought the first one, yeah, the first one at least had a, uh, it was more thought out and more structured. This one's yes. not, but 
there was a lot of reasons for that one. And yeah, yeah, there's not much more we can say about Beneath. We probably gave it more time than it deserved. <laughs> hey, we've almost yeah. hit the runtime of the movie. I think so. We're getting close. We're getting close. It's a short ass movie. Well, Jeremiah, this is awesome. We'll definitely do this again soon, my friend. Big thanks to YouTuber Jeremiah Stewart from Let's Talk for coming on to discuss 1970s Beneath the Planet of the Apes with an ending so bold and ballsy that every time I see it, I just, it's it's astounding. I can't believe that they ended a movie like that in 1970. But I want to know, what are your thoughts on this movie? Probably one of the more divisive apes films, which I think is fair, considering that ending. Let me know your thoughts. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. We'll be back next episode with Escape from the Planet of the Apes, uh, where you'll get to find out how they continued this thing uh, after they blew the world up at the end of Beneath. But for now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Catch you at the next stop, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-K-E-D. <laughs>